which I love technology. Well, while Tim is figuring that out, <clears throat> uh, so I can uh, echo with that song and also echo with what James and Corey said. And uh, um, I am the, the president and CEO of the Factory Ministries, also a member of this church. And, and so many things that happened in the last half hour, I feel like I want to say them all in about 20-second intro. Um, so you talk about the kids that never say thank you for the meal that's prepared. Um, there's many a times when I think, I sit back there and I think, oh, I wish I could get up right now and thank them for our support, for their support, and what we're trying to do together in the community. Um, this church supports the factory in incredible ways. So financially, your end of the year gift uh, was, was very generous. And uh, hopefully in the next month or so, when you drive by the Together Community Center, you'll see a sign out front finally, and you'll know that uh, that money was used for that sign, among some other things. And, but it's not just the money, just we have been able to, to, to come together for the kingdom of God in our community, and uh, very honored to, to walk with you on this journey of showing this community how deeply God loves them and uh, wants a relationship with them. And so I've appreciated this past couple of weeks, if I'd be honest, that song I echo with, and, and it's been a very discouraging one for me in many ways, but I feel like I'm on the other side of that. It's a good thing, because I'm about to speak to you. And that's, uh, that I'm like, Lord, you've got to do something before Sunday. Um, but also, uh, so I appreciate your, your prayers um, for wisdom and discernment. What, what we, we as in the factory and Grace Point and our whole community is trying to do is so much bigger than us. Um, we're doing God's stuff. And we so desperately need God's, you know, we need wisdom and direction from God. Um, also in our family, as you've known, Judy, is just the last couple of years, our, our daughter with autism has had some physical struggles uh, the last three days, she has uh, stopped eating, stopped drinking, stopped talking. And uh, last time this happened, we ended up in the hospital, so we're not sure what's going on. But just appreciate your prayers for the factory, for myself and, and, and as a leader, and also um, for our family. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Uh, let's pray together. Thank you, God, for the time we can have here this morning. <clears throat> just continuing our series on Friend of Sinners, I pray that you would teach me. I pray that you would use the words that I say and the words from your holy word to teach each one of us that we would leave here, Father, with a greater understanding of who you are and what your son Jesus was and is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) I'm excited to be with you this morning. I've always wanted to go to paradise. And here I am, after, after two millennia, here I am, find myself in paradise. And i got to tell you, I thought it was going to be a little different. It's a little more earthly than I anticipated. But nonetheless, it's a cute little town, and uh, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. Just by way of introduction, my name is Zacharias, and uh, I'm a time traveler. I was born, actually, in 10 BC. My guess is you've never heard of me, but you've probably heard of my sister, Mary Salome and her husband Zebedee, um, very wealthy people that uh, owned a, a great fishing um, business. And, and you, if you haven't heard of them, you probably heard of their two boys, um, Jimmy and Johnny. Jimmy and John, sorry, I didn't mean to sound sacrilegious. I think you know them as James and John, apostles of Jesus. But uh, you got to understand, I've known it since they were a knee-high grasshopper. And boy, those two boys were feisty. They, they just love to, what well, we used to say, they love to, believe it or not, to get into trouble. I mean, if there was something to do, they were there. It didn't surprise me, actually, 
when Jesus asked them to follow him, that they went immediately because they, uh, they always loved the challenge, and they were risk takers. And, um, <clears throat> you know, some, some, some used to say that, that Johnny, uh, John, John was really close friends with Jesus, and I guess he was, but Petey, now you haven't met Petey, but Peter, sorry, sorry, St. Peter, he, uh, he was close to Jesus as well. In fact, all those young men were just great men, and they did some, some really incredible work. Um, so, time out. This is not showing me the next slide. I guess that's okay, but that would kind of help me. I don't know if we should change it. <clears throat> you think I've memorized all this? If you're listening uh, and as a podcast later, we're just having... See, that's the problem with your, your society. You know, as I've come into the future, I realize that everything you do is dependent on technology. You know, back in the olden days, we just got up and talked, and that's all we did was talk, but now, no, we've got to have these little things in our hand and all these slides, and uh, we're just going to keep going. That's fine. So, I've got to tell you, in the, last, in the last two millennia, I've traveled around a lot, and I've got to, I got to engage a, a, a lot of religious people, and I tell you, there's some, there's some things that I learned from them. I don't think we're on the right slide. I apologize. Okay. Okay, we are. All right. Let's start over. said to myself this morning, this whole thing was a bad idea. I should have just, <laughs> should have just taught a sermon. <clears throat> uh, you know, here's what I've learned. You see, back in my day, the religious leaders, uh, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they would take the, the, the book of the law, you know, the writings of the prophets, and, and they, would, they would teach them to us. And it's what's interesting is, I believe that the whole purpose of what you would call the Old Testament was to point us to Jesus, would be to, to point people to a relationship with the God of the universe. Yet, interesting enough, when the teachers of the law would teach it, many people, myself included, often felt like, oh, well, I don't think God could ever love me. You see, I don't think that I could memorize enough of the Torah, or I could say enough of the prayers, or I could just do enough things. And so I found it ironic that, that what the law was designed to do, the Pharisees and teachers of the law used it to almost, almost keep me away from God. And, and as I've gone through the last two millennia, just you know, being eyewitnesses of different things that have happened, I've noticed that what the Pharisees did to the book of the law, religious people have done with the whole Bible. You see, the whole Bible was designed to point us to Jesus, to point us to God. Yet all through the centuries, we've used that Bible, we've used the words of that Bible to keep people from knowing God. And this is what I discovered, that religious people create systems to keep the wrong people out. And it kind of blows my mind. Because often I find myself kind of in the company of the wrong people. But here's what I've learned about Jesus. I've learned that the good news this morning is that Jesus wants to be your friend. And that's what I hope you hear. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, you know what? What comes with me this morning is shame, is guilt, is a feeling that I can't measure up, is the feeling that when I read the Bible, I don't see a God that loves me. I see a God with a tally sheet. I see a God with an incredible memory, 
that has remembered all the things that I've done wrong and all the things that I didn't do? And if I'd be honest this morning when I'm sitting here, I see myself as the good news is probably better news for somebody else than me. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you think, yeah, I've accepted the good news. Like I would call, you, you call them Christians, right? Christians, yeah. Um, you know, you, you call yourself a Jesus follower, but, and maybe somewhere along the line, that was really exciting to you, but now over the years, you've kind of, the lackluster is gone, and you're sitting here saying, yeah, it really isn't really good news for me. If that's where you're sitting, then I want you to know this morning is that Jesus wants to be your friend. The God of the universe is not some, is not some far-off, distant person that wrote these words to condemn you, but the God of the universe wants a relationship with you. That's what I hope that you get out of this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like us to open up to the book of Luke. I'd like to tell you a story that happened back in my day. And it's the story that Dr. Luke told in your Bibles. Actually, there's some Bibles in your pews. And, and Greg, what page number was that on? 834. Thank you, Gregory the Great. Um, I met him this morning, and he introduced, he said, oh, my name is Greg, but everybody calls me Gregory the Great. I guess that wasn't true. And uh, page 834, his wife is like, no, absolutely not. <clears throat> and, and, and Luke records this story. By the way, you probably never met Dr. Luke, an incredible man, gentle, humble, really never talked much about, about himself. In fact, rumors had it that when you went to see him, if something was wrong with you, that he would spend hours with you just hearing about your life. He loved history, and man, was he a person of detail. And in fact, if you ever wanted to know what happened back in that day, no better person than Dr. Luke because of how extremely detailed he was. In fact, one time I went to see him, and I had something small wrong with me, and, and we got in a little debate because we started talking about Moses. Like I said, he loved history. And I said that Moses saw a burning tree. And he's like, no, it was a burning bush. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it was a burning tree. And we went back and forth, bush, tree, bush, tree. Well, it turns out that actually Luke was right. Of course he was right. Never argue with a guy that's so detailed and has such a, such a thirst for precision. But anyway, Luke records this story. And this story, by the way, happened around 27 AD, give or take a few years. Honestly, when you've been alive as long as I have, it's hard to remember things that happened back in the day. Maybe some of you could relate to that. And it happened in the town of Capernaum. That was my town. A beautiful town, by the way. I don't know if you have towns like this around these parts, but uh, just right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. So you could look out in the morning. I would get up and sip my coffee. Yeah, we had coffee back then. I'd sip my coffee and look at the beautiful lake and just the mist rising above the lake. And then off in the distance, you could see the mountains. You don't understand that, do you? Because you have mountains around here. And the other day, I went up your mountain. You call it Welsh Mountain? I'm like, uh, that's just a little hill. But uh, Capernaum, where was I? Oh, yeah, Capernaum was just an incredible, um, incredible place to grow up and to live. And man, we had good fish. Whew, the fish there was top-notch. In fact, my favorite fish was a fish called uh, must. And I used to love to eat that with Babylon chips. Yeah, you know this as French fries. They were around way before you guys invented them. I remember eating French fries as a, uh, your French fries, our Babylon chips as a little kid. And the mish was, it's kind of like tilapia. In fact, I think today they call it St. Peter's fish. I don't know why they do that, because St. Peter didn't make it popular. His mother-in-law did. 
Man, was she a mean cook. In fact, after, after synagogue, we'd go over there almost every week, and, and she would cook up a storm. And uh, you, could, you could smell it from miles away. In fact, one day when we, we went there, and she was, she'd gotten so sick. Oh, wait, that's another story. I think Kevin's going to tell that story next week. I'll leave that story alone. But she could cook a mean must. Mm, mm. Anyway, I was so excited about hearing that Jesus was coming to our town because I had heard the stories of him in Nazareth. Yeah, Nazareth. We've always said, can anything good even come out of Nazareth? That's where you laugh. That was, that was funny. That was, so, that was my funniest one yet. All right. And, uh, and I had heard stories about how he went to the synagogue and he opened up the scroll in the book of Isaiah and, and he read from the passage there and, and then he said, this is, this is why I've come. And he said something that blew everybody away. I mean, they were amazed at the authority with which he spoke. By the way, so much more authority than the teachers of the law. I didn't tell you that, but that's kind of what everybody was saying on the street, is that he spoke with so much authority and power. And the rumors are that basically what he said is that he's come to help those like me. Those that find themselves poor, disenfranchised, disillusioned, those that the society would call them outcasts. You see, I, I can relate to that because, you know, my sister and brother-in-law, they had a lot of money and they had a lot of power and prestige and they were, they were incredible people. You never find a better, a better couple than they are. But that wasn't me. And like, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the prestige. I was, sometimes I think I got a free pass just because I'm Zebedee's brother-in-law. But when I heard what Jesus said, there was a longing in my heart to want to sit in his teaching. And by the way, I got to tell you that it, it ticked off. Can I say ticked off in your, in your culture? Yeah, it ticked off the religious leaders. In fact, the story is told that they were so angry with him when they realized that he didn't come for them and the system they were created, but he came for the people they were ostracizing, they were leaving outside, that they took him to the edge of the cliff and they were going to throw him over to kill him. By the way, I've been to that cliff. By the way, story I don't have time to tell you, Johnny and Jimmy were playing around that cliff once and almost fell off and that wouldn't have been a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been to that cliff, and they were going to throw him over the edge because they were. He had just started talking about things up to that point. A lot of people didn't know who he was, and they were already ready to kill him. Rumor has it, I don't know, that he just walked right through them. I don't know how you do that, but he walked right through them. And now he's coming to my town, and he would come. He came. And he would go to the synagogues and teach, and I loved, I loved to sit there and listen to him. Open up the writings of the prophets. Open up the book of law and just share it with an amazing amount of authority and power. And I needed to hear that, you see, because I grew up in a, in a time, I think you call it legalism, right? I mean, my mom would say to me when I was a kid going out to play, she would say, now remember, don't smoke or chew or hang with those that do. You know, because here's the thing, that if I could do enough good things and if I could stay away from enough bad things and bad people, then I would have a good standing in God's eyes. And that just maybe if I did enough and worked hard enough and performed enough, that God would be pleased with me. The problem is I couldn't. And so when I'm sitting here now and I'm hearing Jesus it's all starting <clears throat> to make sense. I remember the day that uh, 
this particular day that, that Luke was writing about, it was the first time that I, I kind of learned this lesson about Jesus. You see, I learned that Jesus created a system to get the wrong people in. You see, that day, as everybody's heading to the synagogue, I remember watching him come, and he was, all the little kids loved him, but yet sometimes people would like tell the little kids to get out of the way. They were just bothering him. But he always had time for the little kids. He always had time to stop and I'm like, Jesus, don't talk to that person. You don't do that. You're going to go to synagogue and teach. You're a leader. You're a religious leader. You don't talk to them. But he did. And I remember walking to the synagogue. By the way, we didn't have metal detectors back then, but <laughs> there were people standing there. And, and if you didn't fit the right status, you weren't allowed in. Like if you were an outcast or you were somebody that <clears throat> just was going to, just going to, if you got in the way of what they were doing or you had some kind of disease or you had some kind of problem or you didn't do enough good things that you weren't allowed in. Again, fortunately for me, I was able to get in probably more because of my sister and brother-in-law than myself. And we're sitting there and uh, Jesus is teaching. Well, Luke records it. Why don't we look at it together? If you have your your Bibles there, the Luke chapter 4, let's just read the verses together where it says that uh, he went down to Companion. By the way, it's my town. Beautiful place to live. Did I tell you they have great fish there? Incredible fish. Are you hungry yet? All right. And uh, on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. What Luke didn't say here, but everybody felt was, unlike the Pharisees. You know, their teaching didn't have that kind of authority. But I didn't tell you that. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out the top of his voice. Did you know my Bible's missing a word right there? I'm just going to, all of a sudden, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them, and they all came out without injuring him. That's a good representation, but you had to be there. Because here's what's happening. It's quiet. Jesus is teaching, and uh, all of a sudden, this man stands up. I'm like, what in the world? This is not the custom. This is not what you do. And plus, I, I don't think he was a teacher of the law. Like, I don't even know what he, how dare he open his mouth. And when he stood up, he started talking, and it sounded like, it sounded crazy weird. Like, all of a sudden, I realized, uh-oh, we're about to have some drama in the house because I think this man's demon-possessed. And he stood up, and I'll never, ever, ever forget what he said. In fact, I wrote it up here as you can see it. He said, Ti imoi kaiso. I'll never forget that. It still rings in my head. Ti imoi kaiso. In other words, translated in your Bibles was, what do you want with us? By the way, that's an idiom that we use. Here's what it actually literally means that you would use today. Can't you see I'm busy? It's sort of be like parents you know, you're trying to accomplish something, right? And you only have a few minutes left. And the kid comes in and they keep pulling your pants leg and they're asking a question and they're interrupting you. And finally, you say, can't you see I'm busy doing something? The idea behind that is, can you leave me alone right now? I'm trying to accomplish something and you are keeping me from getting that done. And that's what came out of the mouth of this demon-possessed man. And I remember, I mean, it only took a second. I remember thinking, what is he talking about? Jesus didn't interrupt him. Jesus was the one talking. Jesus didn't, wasn't even saying anything about 
this demon-possessed man and what he can and can't do, he was expounding on the Scriptures. He was helping us to understand how deeply God wants to have a relationship with us. And all of a sudden, this demon-possessed man says, can't you see I'm busy? And then it hit me. You see, demons would, I don't know if they do this today anymore, but back then they would inhabit people with the goal of just killing them and ending their life. And that's just kind of what they did. By the way, if we had time, I'd love to tell you a story about how this man had so many demons that Jesus, it was crazy, Jesus caused them all to go into like 2,000 pigs and they ran over to the edge and they fell down the cliff. And you should have seen, you should have seen how angry the, the town was. I mean, they, the whole town begged Jesus. But that's, that's another story I don't have time to tell today. But <clears throat> can't you see I'm busy? I realized, hmm, they were busy trying to kill and destroy, and they recognized Jesus as the Holy One of God coming to give life. They were trying to create as many enemies of God as they could, and Jesus came to create friends of God. And you know, I think about this phrase, and I thought, isn't it ironic that, they're the, that the demon-possessed man is the one who said that, but i got to wonder if that's what the Pharisees were thinking themselves. They had, a, they had a going, man. They had a system going to keep people, keep the bad people, you know, the, <clears throat> the wrong people out. They had the system, and all of a sudden Jesus comes and he turns the system upside down because he's creating a system that keeps the wrong people, lets the wrong people in. And I wonder if this, this day or many other days they thought to themselves, can't he see we're busy? We're trying to do something here, and he's in the way. That phrase has... has haunted me sometimes, challenged me, and encouraged me, all at the same time. Because in my own life, you know, there are times when I felt like I was trying to fit into a system, but I couldn't. I didn't have enough things going for me. And then if I'd be honest, there were times when I was not demon-possessed, but I'm kind of like him, because I think sometimes God has asked me to do stuff, and I'm like, can't you see I'm busy? Like, oh, you want me to help? But can't you see? You want me to go where? Can't you see? You want me to give? Can't you see? You want me? Can't you? And I find that this phrase that was yelled out at the top of a man's voice in the synagogue that day that broke the silence like you wouldn't believe, it's the same phrase that I'm guilty of saying over and over and over again. And I wonder if it's the same phrase that maybe you're guilty of saying over and over and over again. Can't you see that I'm busy? So here's my question for me, is what am I busy with? What do I think is important? Jesus, and I understand you're, by the way, you're in a series of Jesus being a friend of sinners, and that, boy, you should, you should come every week. It's going to be exciting to see. I'm just telling you one story that Dr. Luke recorded, but there were so many stories of how Jesus turned the system upside down and said, no, we're not going to neglect them or leave them out or ostracize them. That's why I've come. And if that's why he came, and I'm a follower of his, 
then shouldn't that be what I'm busy doing? But see, we all have things that we have to do today, right? I mean, you're going to continue on your business. You might go home and have fish now for lunch, which would be cool. I'm going to go to another time period. And uh, we all have things that we got to get done this week. But what rings in the back of my head that I hope rings in the, the back of yours, or maybe I should say the front of all of our heads, is what am I busy with? Has Jesus come into your life to live out his mission that he's a friend of sinners, that he's a friend of people that might smell differently, look differently, make bad decisions, not use their money wisely, right? Not take care of their children, have addictions, whatever you want to call it. Is he a friend of them? Because if he is, then I have to be a friend of them as well. See, here's the thing. It's not an option, right? If I'm a Christ follower, then I pick up you know, and I continue on his cause. So for me to say, God, I know you want me to do this and do that, but I'm busy now. I can hear that phrase. What are you busy with? Another way to ask that is to ask this question. What system am I following? See, the religious leaders of, of my day and of all through history created a system to keep the wrong people out. But Jesus created a system to let the wrong people in. So my question for me, my question for you is not only what are you busy with, but this. Do I want the wrong people in or out of my church? Do I want the wrong people in or out of my business? Do I want the wrong people in or out of my house? Do I want the wrong people in or out of hanging out with my children? Do I want the wrong people in or out of living next door to me? Do I want the wrong people in or out of fill in the blank? It's a heavy question to answer. But however we answer that will determine the system that we are following. By the way, I've come here as a time traveler not to beat you up and not to discourage you. I think those are questions that I need to ask, you need to ask. What am I busy with? Is Jesus getting in my way? Is the mission of God getting in my way? Or is it what I'm about? And then what system have I bought into? I think these are heavy questions that we all have to struggle with this morning. Probably more so than we ever have because the implications are, are huge. Actually, the implications are eternal. But I didn't come here to beat you up. I came here today to encourage you that the good news is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus came to this earth and to watch him love the unlovely, to watch him provide comfort to those who need comforted, to watch him reach out a hand and touch people that were untouchable, to watch him to welcome people that were unwelcomed was an amazing thing. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And you know what I've realized? The longer I've lived, and I've lived a very long time, much longer than most of you will ever live, probably. After two millennia, here's what I've learned. I'm a sinner. And Jesus is a friend of me. You see, there's not much difference between me and anybody else the religious system might ostracize. 
Oh, I can hide it on the outside, but on the inside, I'm in the same boat. I'm desperately in need of a friend of sinners. And so this week, when you're befriending somebody that Jesus will befriend, you're befriending me. Thank you. You're befriending one another. Thank you. That's what Jesus came to do. And Dr. Luke records the story to help us understand that that's what Jesus wants from us as well. Let's pray. Thank you, Almighty God, for speaking to us through your word this morning. God, you sent your son, Jesus, to earth to turn the system upside down. To remind humanity that what you care about is having a relationship with us. So you sent your son to this earth to demonstrate that religion that is all about knowledge and it's all about prestige and all about power is worthless to you. But as your good friend James wrote, religion that you accept as worth that you accept as worthwhile is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's to take care of those that are the least of these. As you did through your son so long ago in 27 AD, I pray that you would do in 2017, God. I pray that each one of us would be only busy about your business and that we would be about letting those who feel marginalized and left out of the religious system to know that God hasn't forgot about them and that Jesus loves them. We ask this in your son's name.